There are some choices in life that we can't go back on once we make them. And that can be from simple things to extreme things. Even if you've ever maybe eaten something spicy and you said, I'm just going to do it, and you eat it, and there's no way you can go back on that choice once you've made it. As soon as that, whatever it is, goes inside, you can't say, I just want to rewind that. I don't, I don't want to do that. It's over. It's happened. Your mouth will tell you that it's over. Your stomach will tell you. That I won't keep going through all the organs that will tell you, but a lot of things will tell you. You can't go back on that. I remember I went skydiving several years ago, and um, I, one of the things that they told us is once we're in the plane, they're going to ask, and whenever you go, if you've ever been skydiving, when you go the first time, you have to go in, in tandem with someone that knows what they're doing. And so you're attached to that person and you sit on the edge of the plane looking down at the clouds and the sky and your certain death below you. And they ask you, are you ready to skydive? And at that moment, you have to say yes or no or give a thumbs up. And if you, they said, if you say no or you put your, like if you hesitate at all, it's over. You're just back in the plane and, you know, the, the flight of shame back home that you wasted your money and you don't get to tell your friends you did something cool. That's it. But as soon as you say yes, you don't get to go back. He is going off. You, you can't say, actually, never mind. As soon as you say yes, I'm ready to skydive, he's, he's hopping out of the plane and it's over. And hopefully it's not over, over, but it's, 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 it's over in, in the fact that you are now skydiving. You don't get to go back. And that's a choice that once you make it, you don't get to go back. And I remember sitting on the edge of the plane, and that was actually the scariest moment of the whole thing to me, was having to commit, having to say, yes, I'm ready to skydive. And then actually, once I was in the air, it wasn't that scary at all. It was kind of like, okay, this is just kind of really windy and uh, like a nice view. That, that's it. Um, but the scariest part was having to commit. The scariest part was having to respond to him asking me the question, are you ready to skydive? And there's a lot of choices in our life that once we make them, we can't go back on them. And because of that, because we know that, we a lot of times have a fear of commitment, right? There's things, even simple things, like nobody RSVPs to anything. And I'm not saying that as like, hey, you didn't RSVP to come here on today. But nobody RSVPs for stuff because we're afraid to commit. We think, well, I want to do this, but what if this thing comes up? Or what if this happens? And we don't, and you know, you can, you can cancel your RSVP on things. It's different from skydiving, but that's a part of why. We, we don't want to make those choices where we are saying, I'm in, I'm doing this, I'm committing. That can be with relationships, that can be with, um, even, even a lot of times this happens in our spiritual life. That there's things that God would call us to that we may kind of be on the fence about and are interested in, but don't quite want to jump off that diving board and make that commitment. This happened all the time in Jesus relating with people and his teaching as he was building relationships. We've been going through the gospel of Luke and talking about life with Jesus. And in Jesus' ministry, he is constantly interacting with thousands and thousands of people. And many people have heard him. Many people are interested in him. Many people like him. Many people want to receive from him. But Jesus wants so much more than that. Jesus doesn't just want people to like him. Jesus doesn't just want people interested in him. He doesn't just want people to listen to him. He wants people to actually respond to him, to make a commitment to him, to hear his call and say, I'm not on the fence anymore. I'm going with you. And at times, I think we are all in that place where Jesus is calling to us. He's speaking to us. And when I say Jesus is calling to you and speaking to you, that can be through a Sunday. It can be through just kind of an internal conviction from the Holy Spirit. It can be as you read the Bible. It can be through Christian friends that are kind of speaking to you in your life. But when Jesus calls to us in our life, a lot of times we're on the fence. We might like him, be interested in him, listen to him, but still be on the fence and unsure. Do I want to jump do I want to respond? That might be, for some of you, maybe you're not Christians and you're unsure. Do I want to go all in with Jesus? 
For some of us, it's not becoming a Christian. It might be that you are a Christian and there's certain areas that, that you know. I don't even have to list them to you. I don't have to tell them to you. But you know that God has been speaking to you about changing in certain areas, about maybe confessing certain sins or making certain changes in your life to, to grow, to turn away from sin, to turn towards him. There's, there's ways that you know Jesus has been calling you to respond, but you're on the fence. You're not sure. You're evaluating if you want to have that conversation. You're evaluating if you want to say that thing. You're evaluating if you want to commit. Maybe it's even in some aspect of serving with your life that you're not sure. Do I want to give my life to that? Do I want to make that choice to commit that time or that money or my abilities? Do I want to move in that direction. We hear Jesus's calling in our life in various things. Where, I mean, I'd love you even just to think about that. Where is he calling you to respond and you're not quite sure? And it can be something small or it can be something big. It could be a conversation that you need to have with somebody or it could be a life commitment. Where is Jesus calling you to respond and you're kind of on the fence. This might be a specific thing. It might even be just kind of a pattern in life that you, that you recognize God calling you to respond in things and us being unsure. Sometimes we are uncertain of our response and that is displayed in a kind of rejection where we hear him calling to us and we say no. And for some of you, you might know what that is. Sometimes it's more just ignoring him. It's not necessarily rejecting, but there's areas that God may want to be speaking to you in your life, but we're not even listening. So we're not responding by default because we're not actually even listening. We're not even bringing that area to him. We're not even saying, what is it that you want to speak to me about this decision or this relationship or this uh, area of my life? We're not even bringing it to him. We're just ignoring him. Jesus wants us to respond to him. And, and listen, as a pastor, I don't want you, any of, any of you, I don't want this for my own self, but I don't want any of you to live life on the fence. I don't want you to live life on the fence where you're neither this way nor that way, but you're just on the fence, living life undecided, living life not sure if you're ready or not to skydive living life on the edge, but never quite saying, okay, here I am. Never quite committing, never quite responding. I don't want you to live that way because you don't actually get to experience what God has for your life if you live on the fence. Life on the fence is not life experiencing fully what Jesus wants to do. There's a lot of stuff that God wants us to experience in our life, but that will only happen as we respond to him, as we say, okay, I'm not just listening, I'm not just liking, I'm not just hearing, but I'm responding to you. But that's hard. There's a lot of fears that we have. There's a lot of uncertainty that we have. We're unsure what will happen. We don't want to lose control. We don't want to fully commit if we're not certain what is going to take place. And so if we are going to live a life where we are responding to Jesus, that means we have to have reasons. If we're going to respond to whatever Jesus would speak into our life, from the smallest to the biggest, if we're going to live responsively, and even maybe just think about that as a characteristic, there's specifics, but then there's also just, is this the character quality of my life that I live responsively to him? If we want that, We've got to have reasons. We have to have reasons to actually say, I trust this person. I want to respond to him. Instead of me just telling you, respond, respond, respond. We have to have reasons. We have to know why we should respond to Jesus. And this passage that we are going to look at really helps us to answer this question. What reasons do we have to respond to Jesus in whatever he might 
speak to us? Are there reasons that we can latch onto that if he's calling you to confess or he's calling you to become a Christian or he's calling you to change or he's calling you to serve or he's calling you to have that conversation or he's calling you to exercise faith in a difficult thing, whatever it is, what reasons do we have to respond to him? This passage will help us explore this together. What reasons are there to respond to Jesus? We're going to look at five different reasons, and we'll just kind of walk through this passage piece by piece. And here's the, the first part. Luke 11, 14 through 36 will be the whole thing we're looking at. About Jesus, it says this. Now he was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon came out, the man who had been mute spoke. And the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, he drives out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. This was a, a name that was associated with kind of pagan gods and deities and really was a, a nickname at this point for Satan. And Jesus heals this person and they say he did that by the power of Satan. And others, as a test, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. Knowing their thoughts, he told them. This is a famous passage that Abraham Lincoln quoted. Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction. And a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I drive out demons by Beelzebul. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus really gives them two reasons why their logic of saying, you just, you just cast out a demon and you did it by the power of demons. He says, that doesn't make any sense. If I was using the power of Satan to destroy Satan, any house divided would, would fight against itself, number one. And number two, when he talks about, uh, if I drive out demons, by whom do your sons drive them out? There's already uh, some of the religious leaders that are in the Jewish community that are casting out demons. And he says, so if, when you see them do it, do you think it's by the power of demons or do you think it's by the power of God? Why do you think it, when I do it, it's by the power of demons? Both of those reasons don't make any sense. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Then he gives this illustration about Satan and his power. When a strong man, this is speaking of Satan, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his estate, his possessions are secure. But when one stronger than he attacks and overpowers him, talking about himself, he takes from him all his weapons he trusted in and divides up his plunder. Anyone who is not with me is against me. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Here's reason number one that we are to respond to Jesus that he gives to us. And it's this, he brings the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus says. We, we feel pain in our lives in all sorts of various things. We feel pain. Some of you probably right now in your life, it may be very difficult and you feel pain. This can not just be from Satan. You can feel all sorts of pain from various things in your life, sickness and suffering, but from Satan as well, just like the person that was mute was experiencing. His work in this world is real. Jesus calls Satan a strong man. He calls him a strong man that takes possession of things. So Satan is real, his power is real, and we experience pain, whether from him or other things in our life. And Jesus shows up in this scene and heals this man. He shows up in this scene and delivers this man. To go from not speaking to speaking, to go from tormented by the demonic to freed, Jesus shows up and heals him. And some want to accuse him and say, he's actually, Jesus is not good. His character is bad. And some are not sure. They say, we need more information. We need more information. We need a sign. We need to see something beyond what we've already seen. They're, they're resistant, even with what they just saw, they're resistant to trust him. They're not sure that they want 
to trust him, to respond to him in, in our pain that we feel, whatever that may be in your life. It might not be that a demon is tormenting you and making you meet, uh, mute, excuse me, or making you meet. Maybe a demon is not making you meet and it's tormenting you. Why are you feeding me these vegetables? That's on the lighter side of torment. If a demon's cooking for you, it's still probably, you know, at least you have a chef. Um, I don't know if I would eat that, but... But in our pain, we may want relief, but we're not sure we want to lean on him. We're not sure we fully want to give him our trust. In our pain, like the man here, we may want deliverance. We may want freedom from it, but it doesn't mean that we fully want to lean our trust on him. We may want him to take away certain areas in our life that we don't like, that we don't want. But it doesn't mean that we're certain we want to lean our trust on him. They saw Jesus do something. They saw Jesus exercise power, but they were still, some of them accused him of being demonic and some were just, I'm not sure, I need more information. This may be true in our life where we want relief, but we are trusting in other things to give it to us or to provide for us, but we're not sure we really want Jesus. And Jesus gives us this reason to respond to him. He says, he is the king. He brings the kingdom. He says that he defeats the enemy, that, he, that yes, Satan is strong, that yes, Satan can exercise power in your life. He can tempt you. He can accuse you. He can condemn you. He can fill your life with lies. He can do all sorts of stuff. And, and there's all sorts of other factors of pain in our life. But Jesus says, I'm stronger than that. No matter how strong the power of evil or pain or suffering is, Jesus says, I'm the truest strong man. I defeat, I conquer through the cross and through the resurrection. Jesus has defeated the powers of Satan, sin, and death. And he says, I, here's one of the reasons that you should respond to me. I can bring the power of the kingdom of God into your life. And I don't know where you need that. But Jesus says, I want you to trust me because I can bring the kingdom of God. I, here's what that means. I can bring what it would be like to have God as king. What would it be like if God was king in your life, in your relationships, in your emotions, in, in your home? He says, I can bring the kingdom of God into your life. What would it be like if, to use Jesus' phrase, what would it be like if the finger of God touched your life? What would it be like right now in those areas of pain if the finger of God touched your life? Jesus says, that's, that's what I come to do. That's what I come to bring. And that's one of the reasons we should lean on him. Trust him. Reason number two that he will give to us comes from the next section. He says this, when an unclean spirit or a demon comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest. And not finding rest, it then says, I'll go back to my house, a person, that I came from. Returning it, returning, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. Now, this is a weird kind of interesting parable illustration that Jesus gives to us. But really what he is speaking about is the second reason that we should respond to him, which is that he brings lasting change. There's areas in our life that we want change in. That might be our emotional life, the thoughts that we tell ourselves, the, the feelings that we experience, whether those are anxiety or anger or uh, a desire for peace and control in our life. There's emotional kind of turmoil that many of us experience. Even over, uh, just kind of overpowering despair that we might experience or all sorts of things that we experience emotionally that we want to be different. There's relationships that we want to be different and habits that we want to change and be different. And many times, 
we experience something of God. That might be a sermon. That might be in community. That might be a book that you read or um, some sort of even just inspiring thing that takes place in your life. It might be some movie you watch or uh, it might even just be going out into nature and then experiencing something of God and feeling a little bit better. There's change that we want to happen in our life and sometimes we get a little bit of deliverance and we feel content. We feel good. But Jesus says what happens is the condition of the person that just kind of wants their house swept and cleaned and reformed is they end up worse. He uses an illustration to say, this man had a spirit, that spirit leaves, this man kind of gets his house in order, sweeps the house, the demon comes back with seven demons and goes, oh, this person has kind of tidied up their life. It's nice and clean now. They've experienced some reform, but seven spirits come in and it makes it worse. And here's what that really is, what Jesus is trying to help us see here, what he's trying to communicate of even why we should respond to him. What is it that you are after? What is it that you're after? Are you wanting life to be cleaned up Are you wanting just change or are you wanting Jesus? And what Jesus is saying is this, I can bring lasting change to your life. I don't wanna just kind of help you do the chores. I don't wanna just help you sweep up and kind of clean up some behaviors. I don't want you just to be a more peaceful person. I don't wanna just give you some friends. I don't wanna just kind of change that bad habit and make you more calm at work or make you a a harder worker or I I don't want you just to be a little bit better of a father or a better mother or a better friend. Jesus is saying, I don't wanna just come and and do the chores in your life. I wanna come and live there. I wanna bring lasting change. I want to, what didn't happen with this person is the spirit leaves and they just kind of clean. They don't invite another spirit into their life to bring lasting change because a lot of times what we desire is to receive some benefit from Jesus but not to actually respond to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I can bring lasting change to your life. I can bring lasting change that does sweep and clean the whole house, but not just on an external level, but because I come in and live there and from the inside out begin to bring change. We've got uh, this nasty linoleum in our kitchen. And I think all linoleum should be prefaced by nasty, probably, but that might just be my own experience. Maybe you're, you can come over and show me how linoleum is supposed to be and I'll change my, you know, change my tune. But we've got this linoleum that's gross. It's been there for, I think, at least 160 years. And it's on, you know, it's, it's there, it's, it's white. And so that means it's actually not white anymore. It's like, I don't even know what color, some weird color that Crayola would never dare to invent. And it's on, you know, it's on the ground. And we've done different things. You know, we've tried to obviously sweep it, mop it. We bought like a steam-powered Ghostbuster tool that's supposed to like clean everything out and it still is basically the same and we can clean and clean and clean and it's not going to change it's not going to change what it is and so many times in our life we want Jesus to sweep us we want him to mop us we might even want a deep cleaning we might even be willing to say okay steam me Jesus steam me up that's more what you say when you go to the spot, you know, but, but Jesus says, I want to come in and live there. And I do want to change your life. I do want to help you with your emotions and your relationships and your pain. And I, I do want to help you with that, but not maybe the way you think. I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to probably rip up the floor I'm going to change everything because I want to live there. I want to dwell with you. See, one of the reasons 
that we have to respond to Jesus is he wants to do deeper than we even want him to do. He wants to bring internal and external transformative change to our life that's not surface, that's not superficial. And this little illustration that Jesus gives to us is him saying, I can do better than you even are asking for. I can live with you. I can be united to you. That's what Jesus wants to do. And one of the reasons that we should respond to him is he wants to do that in your life. Those areas that you want change in, he wants to do that in your life. And he has the power to. Reason three, next scene. It says, as he was saying these things, a woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the one who nursed you. Which I think we need to bring back that cheer, by the way. Just instead of amen, if you're happy about something, just say, you know, Caleb, the womb that bore you and the one that nursed you, you know. I think we need to bring that back. It never really caught on. This lady's the only one that ever did it. And then people were like, ooh, that was kind of awkward, you know. I don't know if we should toast to the womb and the, the nursing. And he said, rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So he's not saying, no, my mom is stupid, you're wrong. He's not saying that. But he's saying there's something even more blessed than my mom. There's something even more blessed than this woman. And this gives us the third reason why we should respond to God, which is that he brings blessing. Jesus brings blessing. Listen, I don't know where it is. Again, back to the beginning of this sermon of, of what I'm wanting you to kind of be in the frame of mind to think about. Where is it that Jesus is calling you to respond? You've got to have that fresh in your mind in order for these reasons to help you. Where is it he's calling you to respond? It might be a specific situation. It might be just as a pattern in your life. Are you described as responsive to Jesus, sensitive to Jesus, that when he speaks in the Bible, in a sermon, in community, that when he speaks, your natural response is, okay, yes, I want to do that. Yes, I want to follow you. Yes, I want to obey you. Yes, I want to do what you say. Are you rejecting an area where he is calling you to respond right now? Or are you simply ignoring? You're just kind of living your life and saying, he's not calling me to do anything, but it's because we're not listening. We're not actively saying, what, what is your will for me here? What does it mean for me to obey? So I just kind of want to reframe why we're going through these reasons. I don't know what area Jesus is calling you to respond in, but one of the reasons that we often don't respond is because we're actually afraid that we will lose out on blessing or happiness if we do. One of the reasons that we often don't respond to what Jesus may be calling you to do is we're afraid if I said yes, if I said, okay, I'm ready to skydive Jesus, if I, if I jump off into what he's calling me to do, it might actually steal my happiness. It might actually take away my joy. If I decide to use my money in that way or my time in that way, if I decide to confess that sin, what would that do to my relationship? If I decide to be honest about this, if I decide to change this area in my life, if I decide to start making choices that I know he's calling me to, my happiness might actually be threatened. It might actually diminish. And we're worried that the life of following God, we're worried that the life of obedience to Jesus actually is a life where we sacrifice happiness. Right? Jesus says this, happiness or blessedness is available to you. He says, blessedness, blessing, happiness, joy, those are all similar word family. He says, that is available to you. He says, I want it for you. Whatever Jesus is calling you to, whatever he wants you to respond in, he is not doing that so he can take away your joy and happiness. Jesus never puts together, here's a life of blessing and here's a life of following me. You've got to choose. 
He actually says, you're afraid that you're going to miss out. You're afraid you're going to lose your blessing. You're afraid you're going to miss out on your happiness. I actually want that more for you than you do. I want your blessing. I want your happiness more than you want it. And so when he says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it, the first thing that that means is he says, happiness, blessing is available to you. I want it for you, and it comes as we listen to him. It comes, not through often all the other ways that we're trying to pursue it. Jesus may indeed be calling you to cut this off in your life, but not because he's trying to take your happiness, but because he's trying to give you something better. He's trying to give you himself. He's trying to give you life with him as king. To say, here's where blessedness comes from. Listen to me and obey me might sound bad, but if he is the creator of the universe, if he knows all things, if he's wisest, if he's most loving, if he's most good, then a life where we say to him, speak to me and I will listen, should be the life that's most blessed. A life where we say to Jesus, I want to listen to whatever you say and obey you and follow you. If he is really good, if he is actually wise, if he's actually God, that wouldn't be a bad thing. That would be a good thing. I want my kids to obey me. I want them to do what I say. And if I'm a good father, then that shouldn't be bad. If I tell them to brush their teeth, it's not because I just want them to suffer for a couple minutes. It's because I don't want them to have cavities. It's because I don't want their breath to smell like poop. It's because I want them to enjoy life with clean teeth and the healthy teeth. So when Jesus says that when we obey him, when we listen to him, it's blessed, it means we can Here's why this can be such good news. Don't we pursue happiness in so many things in our life? And some of those we get and some of those we don't get, right? There's probably things, I know there is for me, there's probably things in your life right now that you think, if I had this, you know, happiness would go up a little bit. Maybe, maybe some things you think it would be amazing, it would be great, but some things at least like, okay, if I had this, life would be a little bit better. But we can't always get those things. Sometimes we can and sometimes we can't. And sometimes people say things like, yes, 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 happiness is not external, it's internal, okay? So then we say, okay, fine. All I need is some inner peace and then I can be happy. But same thing. That's hard to get. Sometimes we have it and sometimes we don't. And so whether it's external or internal, so often we want some form of blessedness or happiness and it's not quite available to us. But why this is good news of why we should respond to Jesus is because he says happiness is not internal and it's not external. It's personal. It comes through me. It comes through knowing me and having life with me. It comes through listening to me and responding to me. And listen, every one of us can do that. Not every one of us has millions of dollars that we can spend to pursue our happiness. Not every one of us has all the relationships that we want, if that's the source of happiness. Not every one of us has the home or location that we want, if that's the source of happiness. Not every one of us has the job that we want, if that's the source of happiness. Not every one of us has all these different things that we might try to get happiness in, but every one of us has the opportunity to listen and respond to Jesus. And thus, the source of true blessedness is available to every one of us. And that's one of the key reasons to respond is he says, I can bring blessing into your life. No matter what other source of happiness you have, no matter what it, or don't have, I can bring you something better than internal, better than external. I can bring you the deeply personal myself. Reason Number four, this is not the most fun one, but it's true. As the crowds were increasing, he began saying, and let me just back up really quick. This is a pattern of Jesus. This is a pattern of Jesus that everybody likes him. 
Everybody's like, Jesus is so cool, man. He feeds people. He heals people. He's awesome. He sticks it to the man. Yeah, down with the Pharisees. And he, like, everybody loves him. And as soon as he notices that that happens, he always says something to go, all right, I'm getting too popular. I need to push this back to make sure people know what he's really about and who he really is. And these are always, the reason I bring that up is not to just give you some interesting thing, but to say, these are always the tests of our heart. Up to now, Jesus brings blessing. Okay, cool. Jesus brings the power of God into your life and the kingdom. That's pretty cool. Lasting change. Sign me up. And now, even in our own hearts, Jesus is going to push back a little bit to help us see, are you ready to respond? Are you still on the fence? So here's what he says. As the crowds were increasing, he began saying, this generation is an evil generation. It demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. Referencing the story, don't have time to go into the whole thing, but Jonah in the Old Testament was a prophet. God sends to Nineveh, which was an evil, wicked city. And the sign of Jonah is that Jonah shows up preaching to them, calling them to repentance. The sign is that God is present saying, I am offering you mercy and I'm offering you a warning of the judgment that is going to come upon you. And Jesus says, Jonah was assigned to Nineveh. I am a sign of God's mercy, but also his call to repentance and judgment to you. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. That's a second Old Testament illustration. The queen of the south comes to Solomon to get his wisdom. Both of these places, Nineveh was a Gentile, non-Jewish, not God's people, nation. Queen of the South, Gentile, non-Jewish, not God's people, nation and representative. And yet both of them responded to God's call to judgment, his call to repentance, and his merciful, gracious offer through that. Both responded. And Jesus says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and that the Queen of South will stand up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. And yet, for them, these Gentile nations responded to God's call. And God's own people, the Jewish people at this time, were not responding to God's call. And yet, Jesus is greater, greater in his wisdom, greater in his preaching and call to repentance and mercy. And so here's our fourth reason to respond to Jesus. He brings judgment. Sometimes the reason that we don't respond to Jesus, I don't know what it is that Jesus is calling you to. I don't know what it is in your life. But sometimes the reason we don't respond is simply this. We don't take it that seriously. He's calling to us. He's calling to us to change. He's calling to us to confess. He's calling to us to forgive. He's calling to us to stop or to start. He's calling to us to come to him in salvation, in faith. And sometimes the reason we don't respond is because we just don't take it all that seriously, actually. We kind of are assessing our options. We're kind of thinking, okay, what's the... And sometimes it's even when Jesus says this generation, it might be because we're saying, what's kind of everyone else doing? What's the popular opinion? How are they doing it? Well, my friends over here say this, or my family over here says this. One of the reasons we should respond to Jesus is because he says this. In me you have the greatest wisdom available to you, more than Solomon. In me, you have the greatest call to repentance and mercy that you could ever experience. And if you don't respond, judgment will come. Judgment will come. Where is he calling you to respond? 
one of the reasons we should respond is because judgment will come into our life if we don't. And listen, that might be now or it might be later. If you're a Christian, God has already judged all of your sin in the ultimate sense on the cross with Jesus. It's been paid for. But God will discipline us like a good father that loves us, Hebrews says. So there may be areas in your life, even as a Christian, where you're not responding to Jesus, maybe because you just don't think it's that big of a deal. And he would warn us that God's discipline would come into our life. And for those of us that are not Christians, that are maybe kind of on the fence with Jesus, this is not the only thing Jesus says. He's already said so much about his grace and his love, but you do need to hear him say, if you don't respond to me, it is a serious thing. And you've got every reason to look at my wisdom, to look at my call to mercy and grace and repentance and respond. Final reason to respond to Jesus. No one lights, this is the very next thing he says, no one lights a lamp and puts it in the cellar or under a basket, but on a lampstand so that those who may come in may see its light. This is really Jesus talking about his own message. He's saying, I'm not trying to hide anything here. You know, no one takes this, this light that they want to show to people and then hide it. I am revealing myself. I'm revealing my will. I'm, you don't need a sign. I'm, I'm right here showing everything I am to you. Your eye is the lamp. This gets a little weird, okay? But your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Take care then that the light in you is not darkness. If, therefore, your whole body is full of light, with no part of it in darkness, it will be entirely illuminated as when a lamp shines its light on you. Really, there's two key parts of this. Jesus is saying, I am revealing myself. I'm not hiding. That's the first part. And then when he starts talking about our eye being the lamp of the body, and when your eye's healthy, your body's healthy, and when it's bad, the point of that is take care then that the light in you is not in darkness, which is to say, based on how you perceive Jesus, that doesn't have anything actually to do with Jesus. It has to do with our perception. If our eyes are bad and they're not healthy, then even though we're looking at light, it comes into us and we become dark. Even though we're looking at Jesus, our perception of him is wrong and off and it affects us internally. So we have to take care how we see. So here's reason number five to respond to Jesus, which is that he brings truth. We want light. And and that word can, can mean and kind of be associated with a lot of different things. We want truth in our life. We want wisdom in our life. We want to know the way to live in our life, we even want to, to know, for, for some of us, we want to know God and see who he is, to know his will, to know his character. We want light. There's decisions that we have that we are trying to make. There's struggles that we have that we're trying to see our way through. And we want light. We want truth. And sometimes with God, we can think that he's hiding. We can think, God, I just want to know your will. I want to know what you have to say. I want to know who you are. Show me. And we can struggle with that. Especially, I think, if you've been a Christian for a long time, we can wonder, where is God? And what are you doing? And and what do you have to say about this situation? And sometimes we feel like we have to beg him to kind of show up and do something in our life. Thinking about this, some of you might sort of be on the nerdy side and like Star Wars, like myself. And in both the old original ones and then the newest ones, you've got, you know, indulge me for a second here, but you've got Obi-Wan and then you've got Luke Skywalker that are these master Jedis, but that no one has seen for ages, that have disappeared, that are in hiding. And in both, they basically have this message sent to them in, in the originals, it's help us, Obi-Wan, you're our only hope. And in Luke, I can't remember exactly, but it's basically the same thing. But they're essentially saying, you're the only one that can fix this. 
You're the only one that has the power to change things. You're the only one that has the power to set things right that are broken. And they have to go and beg him. And he doesn't want to do it. They have to beg the one with the power. They have to beg the one with the wisdom. They have to beg the one that has shown up before and healed and changed things. And they have to beg him to do it. Jesus is saying, I'm not like that. I've got a lamp or lightsaber, if you will. I've got a light and I'm not hiding it. I am holding it out. I want you to know me. I want to bring truth into your life. I want to save you. I want to show you who I am. I want to show you my will. I want to bring change into your life. I'm not hiding at all what I want to do in your life. I am shining my light. I want to be seen. I want to be known. I want to work in your life. You don't have to beg me for anything, Jesus says. Sometimes we feel like we want God's work. We want his will. We want his help. But we have to kind of tug on him to get it. And he's saying, that's not the case. I show my truth. I bring my truth. I want you to experience the change I'm freely give it. I'm eager. Listen, God is eager to bring truth into your life. It's not like you're the main actor and he might finally acquiesce. It's not like he's a, a you know, kind of an occupied, important person. And if you can go through the right channels and get the right connections and fandangle the, the right emails or, or the right network, then he might give you the time of day. He says, I'm eager to bring my light into your life. I'm eager to bring my truth into your, to your life. I want you to see me and I want to change your whole life and illuminate you from the inside out to bring spiritual health to you. That's his desire. These are five different reasons to respond to Jesus. I don't know where it is that he's calling you to respond. I don't know what it is that, that he uh, has been speaking to you and whether you're rejecting those things or you're just kind of ignoring him in general. But Jesus desires us to respond. You might have an interest in him. You might like him. You might be listening to him. But he calls us to respond. And he gives us a lot of reasons to do so. So, this is really the reflection question, even as we go into communion in just a bit, is where is he moving you to respond? Is it a specific thing? Is it overarching areas to become a Christian, to obey him in a certain thing, to serve in a certain way? And where is there resistance in your heart? Where is there kind of sitting on the edge, but not saying, okay, Jesus, I'm ready to skydive. I'm ready to go because I, I have reasons to trust you. I have reasons that, that you're a God that brings the kingdom into my life, that will bring lasting change into my life, that will bring blessing into my life, that will bring judgment into my life, and that brings truth eagerly into my life. Where's their resistance? Jesus ends this whole thing by saying, here's the issue. It's not if there's reasons or not. There's plenty of reasons. I gave you five, but there could be a hundred. The issue isn't if there's reasons to trust him or not, reasons to respond to him or not. The ultimate thing it comes down to is, how are we seeing him? Is our eye bad? And then even what we take in becomes darkness? So here's just another assessment question for you. Is your heart open to Jesus? Is your heart willing or is it stubborn? Is your heart want to be affected by Jesus or is there walls? Is your heart cold? Is your heart divided where we're hanging on to other things? How do you see him that's going to be affected? How is your spiritual sight? How is your heart as you see even these reasons now? Is it fearful? 
Jesus doesn't want life on the fence for any of us. He doesn't want us to live in that middle place, but to have us fully responding so we're fully experiencing all that he is and wants to be to and for us. This comes as we see these reasons with a heart that is soft and open and humble. We're going to take communion. Hopefully you got a little cup on the way in. When we take communion, what we're remembering is that Jesus' body was broken for us. That his blood was shed for us. The, the, the bread, the cracker representing his, his body broken and the juice representing his blood shed. That he has given us every reason to respond and trust him. When, when I was skydiving, I trusted the person because I don't, actually, I don't even know. I think they had a certificate or something, you know? But I had some reason to trust them. They worked there. They had a name badge, right? That's the reason I trusted them. They had a name badge. And that was enough reason for me to say, okay, I'm putting my life in your hands. And Jesus has given us so many more reasons to respond to him and to trust him and to put our life in his hands. And it's not just because he has a name badge or some skill. It's because he says, I came to this earth and died for you. I came to this earth and gave my life for you. I've, I've given you every reason to respond to me, but the ultimate reason that I give to you, just wait and see what it is. It'll be that on the cross, I give my life. It'll be that through the resurrection, I show who I am, defeating Satan, sin, and death, and giving you this life. And so as you come to take communion, we'll just, we pray for, you know, a minute or two minutes just in your seat, and I want you to, I want you to kind of really pray about a couple things. One is, where is there resistance in your heart? What is there that Jesus is calling you to respond in? And then, hopefully, you can get to a place where you say, okay, I want to respond to you. I surrender to you. I've got all, every reason to do it. And even the internal digestive experience of the food is to help us see I've got every reason to give my life to you because you gave your life to me. So help me to respond to you. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you want to do all this stuff in our life that we just looked at, that Jesus, I know there's areas you are calling us to respond in. There's areas in my life and in each of our life where you are speaking. And God, I want us to be a church that responds to you. I want every individual in this room and at home to be a person, to be a people that responds to you. But God, our hearts struggle with this. And sometimes it's easy and sometimes it is so hard. So I pray, Lord, even as we take this communion that you would, and sing these songs, that you would build our faith to be a people that respond to you, that trust you as the one that gave your life to us. We pray this in in your name, Jesus.